Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer-turned-psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello, and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today, we've got special guest Steve Hoffman, CEO of Founderspace, one of the world's leading startup accelerators. But if you're a gamer, you may know Steve as Captain Hoff. Steve is also a venture investor, serial entrepreneur, and author of several award-winning books, including Surviving a Startup, published by HarperCollins. Steve has also worked in the television and gaming industries and has some great stories to share. So let's all welcome Steve. Hi, Steve. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you could make time for us. So thank you. I am happy to be here. Yes, I am traveling across the country. <laughs> I am in Omaha, Nebraska right now. Excellent. But you're based out of Silicon Valley, right? Normally? I am. My, okay. My home is San Francisco. Yeah, San Francisco. Yes, I used to live there. Love it. Um, okay, well, I, I gave a teaser here at the be beginning with your uh, gamers handle. So Captain Hoff, I want to ask you just a little bit about your background in terms of, you know, a little bit about your work in the television and gaming industries. And don't forget to describe what games you play as well. Oh, of course. So I am, <laughs> you know, in Silicon Valley, everybody now calls me Captain Hoff, but that mm -hmm. was originally my gaming handle because I am a gamer. Like mm -hmm. I love games. So I am a true game nerd. I'm one of those Dungeons and Dragons guys. Like I, I played D&D as a kid, but I didn't just play D&D. Like I had to make up all these role-playing games. So I made up game after game after game uh, in different genres. Like I made up a spy role-playing game, a Western role-playing game, a futuristic role-playing game. So I was making all these games while I was playing all, all bunch of games like RuneQuest and Traveler and Arduin. So for real game nerds, you know these. Yeah. And then I made hundreds of board games. So games were always a passion of mine. I also as a kid made movies. So I was kind of a movie nerd. I made like over 50 short films, animations, films with my friends. And I ended up combining these in my career. First, I went and got a degree in electrical computer engineering because my dad, who is also a, a mega nerd, he was, he was an MIT rocket scientist. If that, and he wore, you know, a pocket protector and everything. Oh like yeah. Classic. <laughs> no, totally classic. Like, and he was like, son, you should study computers. They're going to change everything. <laughs> so I studied computers, but you know, I had this creative side too, you know, games and film. And then I went to graduate school at USC film school. And after that, I went to work in Hollywood, um, of all places, and I actually quickly got promoted. So I worked my way up to development executive very fast. And when I was there, um, I actually kind of saw the future because I saw computer games were becoming more and more popular. And everybody in Hollywood thought, you know, film and television is it. But I thought, no, games are going to be bigger, a bigger industry than film and television. And one of the producers in the production company we were in, his cousin was the founder of Sega, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog. Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. And Sega at that time, it was the early 90s, had just mm -hmm. overtaken Nintendo to be the number one game company in the world. And so when I met him, I was like, I'd love to go to Japan and work in your headquarters. And he's like, we want somebody from Hollywood there to come up with new ideas. So 
um, and how many Hollywood people do you have who was like a hardcore gamer? So they sent me over to Japan. I worked in their headquarters, like had an incredible time. And then I got the itch to be an entrepreneur. I was like, I should be making the games I want to make. Not that, you know, I shouldn't be working for this big Japanese company. I should go back to my home, which is San Francisco Bay Area, and I should start my own company. And that set me on the path of entrepreneurship. And I literally made the first game myself, coded it all, you know, you know, got artists and sound designers to work, funded it all myself. It was called Gazillionaire. And it went on to be a big hit. It was like a big hit in the early mm -hmm. 90s. Mm -hmm. And then I produced a series of games. And then I did a series of venture funded startups, which eventually led me to start what I do today, which is Founderspace, which is a startup incubator and accelerator where I work with entrepreneurs all over the world who are, you know, a lot of them like me were nerds, like really focused on their thing and helping them overcome their challenges in running and growing their businesses. Well, that is so interesting. I mean, I, I don't know if I've had anyone come up with a background like yours. It's, it's really great. Um, gaming, Japan, uh, making your own, the creative and the engineering. Um, I guess one of the questions I would have for you is that you've done, uh, you've been a serial entrepreneur. Have they all been in gaming kind of industries or different ones as well? Yeah. They've all been at the crossroads of entertainment and technology. Okay. So uh, the, the first one I did was called Lava Mine, and we did the game mm -hmm. Gazillionaire, another game called Zapitalism, and another game <laughs> called Profitania, all of which ironically were games that taught you how to be entrepreneurs. They were like business simulation uh, games. Yeah. And, you know, they, uh, they still sell today. They're all on mm -hmm. Steam. They're like classics. Mm -hmm. Like they're the classic games with, with, with the original graphics we made and everything. And they're up there with a lot of other games on Steam. The next startup was combining interactivity with television. So we were mm -hmm. we built an online platform that allowed uh, TV shows played online, like game shows, basically mm -hmm. game shows, to synchronize frame accurate right. with broadcasts. Yep. And we worked with MTV, NBC, mm -hmm. you know, Warner Brothers, Turner, you name it. We were working with them, uh, making interactive versions of their products. And then um, I just went on and did other startups, all really focused on entertainment and technology. All right. So what were some of your entrepreneurial lessons that you had to learn along the way? I mean, great at creating games, uh, playing them and, and, uh, but how about leading a team and, you know, running a business? How did you learn how to do that? Something I had absolutely no experience at, mm -hmm. you know, and I never went and got an MBA or any of these leadership mm -hmm. courses or anything. And there were no incubators or accelerators when I was going, you know, mm -hmm. so we didn't really, you just had to do it. Like if you wanted to do it, you just went out and did it mm -hmm. and you learned the hard way. And I wish I had more training because honestly, I was not the best equipped at all these skill sets. Like I was very proficient at coding, very proficient at being creative in my own way, you know, mm -hmm. designing games. I had a really good gut feeling for that. Managing a team. I was an introvert. Like now I seem like an ex extrovert honestly, but I, this is all artificial. <laughs> not, oh, wow. Like, really? No, it's all training. Like I yeah. literally, I couldn't public speak because not only was I an, an introvert, but I was extremely, extremely shy. So, mm -hmm. and when I say extremely, I mean, you know, on the shyness spectrum, I was way over here like, <laughs> off yeah. the charts of shy. Yeah. You know, I couldn't look people in the eye. I didn't mm -hmm. know how to uh, communicate well. I, we, you know, getting on stage was, you know, just the most 
torturous thing I could imagine. Mm -hmm. But when I did my first, when I did Lava Mine, my game startup, I didn't have to do, I just stayed, I coded the whole thing out of my house. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't need to put myself out there. But when I did my first venture funded startup, a company called Spider Dance, literally the team was looking at me to lead them, <laughs> uh, to go out there and make public speeches, to do sales, all mm -hmm. of these things that I had never done. And it was a challenge. But I will tell you, the only way to meet a challenge like that is head on. Like you just, you, if you shy away from it or try to get other people to do it, you'll never get better, you know? Mm -hmm. So literally I would force myself to do interviews. I'd force myself to go on stage and boy, was I God awful. Like, yeah, the early ones, <laughs> this really bad, but I persisted. And I did one thing that I encourage everybody to do is I did, didn't keep doing the same thing twice. I always, after every talk I gave, after every interview I gave, after every sales pitch I made, I would analyze what I did right and what I did wrong. And I would be looking in real time in those, when I was doing that for feedback, because um, if you're going to improve, you need to, you know, get this data, right? You know, we all need data to improve. Mm -hmm. So I would look like if I'm doing a sales pitch or an interview, I'd be looking into the eyes of the person I'm either selling to or, or who is interviewing me. And I would make a mental note every time I said something in a certain way or a certain thing where their eyes lit up, where they leaned forward, where they were engaged. And then when I said stuff that either led us down the wrong path or where they you know, didn't really, they were like looking at their phone or not really engaging, mm -hmm. then I would make a mental note, oh, don't do that. In the same when I gave speeches, public speeches, you know, if there are people in the audience, I was looking at, you know, the front row, like very carefully, like gauging their reaction in real time data to everything I was saying. And then I would always go back and rewrite my pitch or my speech or, you know, whatever I was doing, right. I would literally recraft it and, and, and uh, put in the good parts, take out the bad parts. And then I would also, this is key, also always try new things. So I'd never stick with the same mm -hmm. speech twice. I'd always try something different. Like, what if I was more animated? Or what if I said this? Or what if I said that? And then I would look at their reactions. And like with speech, I could give a talk on each of these, but like with speech giving, I found out the number one thing you can do to be really good and engaging for people is not to try to sell them. Like, do, like at the beginning, I was like, I should sell them on Spider Dance. That's my job. I was like the CEO of the startup. I should get them to know all about my product. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't sell them on what you're doing. Uh, what you want to do is figure out what they want. Why are they here? Why are they at this talk? Why are they listening to you? What, do, what can you give them to walk away with? Like whenever I give them stuff that were valuable to them, that's when they would light up. That's yeah. when I could see they were engaged. Yeah. When I was selling... Um, like if I was going into a sales thing, which I, I was really bad salesperson at first, had no, no idea how to close a deal. I would literally, um, the person would be there and I, instead of trying to sell them something, I decided I'm going to become helpful. I'm going to try to figure out what they really need. And if there's a good match with what we have, I can spin it in the right way and put it, you know, in their plate in just the right way. But I can only do that once I really understand them. So in sales, I wasn't making small talk. Like, I'm not a good small talker. Like, that's not, you know, and I honestly think the people who tell you to make small talk, that's not the way to make sales. What you do is when you go in, you're really interested in the problems they're having. You're mm -hmm. really interested in trying to figure out 
um, you know, what they need, what are the, what's inside their head. And then you can start to understand. And if you're, uh, if you can provide a solution to that, that means it's a good fit. If not, something went wrong early in the process, you have the wrong leads, right? So you, you have to go back and evaluate that part of your, your chain, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm not meeting the right people. They don't, they don't want what I have. They want this. Either I need to give retool my business to meet their needs, or I need to, I'm targeting the wrong customers. Um, so those are a few things I could go yeah. on and on, but uh, those are a few things that I learned early on. Um, and you asked about management. So I should talk about this, right? Mm -hmm. Managing people. Like I was, I thought you, you know, as a boss, you were supposed to tell them what to do. And, you know, if they weren't, you were supposed to make sure they did it. You'd be really anal, like, like, aren't you doing it the way I told you to do it? Mm -hmm. Totally the wrong way. You do not motivate people by standing over their shoulders, by nitpicking them, by, you know, trying to uh, get them to work longer hours. You motivate people by actually giving them a challenge and then asking them, not telling them if they can solve it. Like, you know, you know, we want to reach there. Do you think you can, uh, what do you think you can do to get us there? You have them come forward to you with their ideas on how they should move the company in the direction you want it to go. Mm -hmm. You don't tell them what, oh, you should do this, you should do that. No, don't do that. Don't waste your time there. You should get them on board by literally asking them, like, what should you be doing? What, you know, how could we be more efficient? You know, what shouldn't our, our team be doing? And if you get, then they start to think they have ownership. And literally, if you hire the right people, which is 70%, like first, 70% is hiring the right people. 30% mm -hmm. is management. If you have the right people, then managing becomes super easy if you just let them do their job. <laughs> let yeah. them do their job. Let them own it. Like, it's super easy. Like, but you, you first need to get those right people and then you need to let go like, and yeah. let them do what they do best while keeping everybody focused on the big goals. Well, Steve, you know, you said a, a few things here that um, make me think that you've grown enormously and and perhaps you had, you know, just a, a really good attitude going in. I mean, first off, you're talking about making a lot of mistakes, right? Doing things uh, that you didn't think were effective and, and learning from them. And, and that's hard for people to do. I mean, a lot of what you're saying is it's really hard, but uh, you have to be strong to be able to do that, like make the mistakes and get the feedback and be willing to change. And that's, that's also hard. That's hard on the ego. And then yeah, you, you have yeah. to absolutely. I mean, you have to admit when you are going uh, out there that you're not good. Like if you, yeah. if you keep telling yourself you're good and you're not, it's going to be very hard for you to improve because you think ah. you're doing everything right. Like I should be the best. You should never say you should, you know, you know, you should be the best right now. You should be the best and you could always be better. That's what you mm -hmm. say. Instead of saying I should be the best, how can I be better? What am I doing? Not as well as I could have. And I will tell you, there's always something out there you could be better at. Yeah, that's a very positive way of looking at it rather than beating yourself up over, you know, stumbling, actually seeing that as really good feedback to improve. Yeah. I mean, the other thing you said um, was really noticing your audience and their needs and focusing on others and both in terms of selling, but also in terms of managing. So it's not necessarily you're directing it all. It's like you're actually listening and looking for others' needs and responding to them. That can be hard too, to let go and think that your way is the right way. Yeah. So a great managers, as you said, great managers do one thing really well, mm -hmm. and that's they understand 
what their employees need and they get it for them. Like, so that if you aren't listening really carefully to your employees, meaning you're engaging them on, you know, your direct reports daily, you know, you're engaging in, in your indirect mm-hmm. reports, you know, weekly or monthly, depending on how big your organization is. But if you, you need to spend time trying to figure out what they're struggling with, that is the key to great management. It's not telling them what to do. It's not like all these strategy manuals and all this stuff. Like everybody knows what the company's goals are, right? You, you make those clear and then you figure out where they're struggling. What do they need? And you try to anticipate that and get them and they'll love you. Like, like literally, yeah. if you're making their job easier, not harder, and you're there as a resource for them, your employees are going to love you. Yeah. It sounds a bit like servant leadership, sort of, yeah, helping them uh, to get what they need, which helps you as the leader, right? Oh, it's absolutely. a win-win. Because, yeah. because look, they're, you know, maybe there's a problem. They're not getting communication with another part of your organization, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're not getting what they need in the right way. So then you can go in there like, why aren't you guys communicating? Let's let, let's figure this out together. You know, what do you need? How can we mm-hmm. improve the, this process as a manager? You know, a lot of times they're not empowered to do it or they don't feel empowered to solve certain problems, which only you as a manager can actually step in and do. Those are the things where you should be focusing your time, not focusing your time on, on problems that they could solve. Those you right. can let them solve. <laughs> well, I want to ask you a question. You've t- talked a lot about how you have learned how to do this. What are some of the challenges that you see others running into, the entrepreneurs, for example, in your incubator? Oh, so entrepreneurs in our incubator have a lot of the same problems I do. So uh-huh. Yeah. They, and then they have, um, they have other problems that specifically with very technical entrepreneurs, Uh, They tend to be so wrapped up in the technical details of what they're doing Mm -hmm. that they uh, don't understand what, what is really happening around them. They are blind to this. Okay. Yeah. Now let me, let me explain this. So I will often meet entrepreneurs who are brilliant and it doesn't, you know, being brilliant doesn't mean you're going to be effective. Like it doesn't mean you're going to be a great Mm -hmm. entrepreneur Mm -hmm. and you might be very brilliant in this field, but actually getting your company to where it needs to go is an entirely different thing. So First of all, they have to admit, hopefully, that they don't know everything. If they think they know everything, they're, it's, it's, they're hard to teach. And yeah. some people are unteachable. Like you, you cannot teach them, right? You can try, but you, they're just not going to hear you. But assuming somebody's teachable, like that they really want to improve mm-hmm. themselves. Um, a big mistake I see in entrepreneurs is that they believe the technology is the solution. And right. I will tell you, technology can be the best technology in the world. You could have perfected it. It could be just like, you could have patents galore. It could be brilliant. Yet, it's not the technology that makes a business. It's, it's providing a solution to the customer for the customer's problems. So if the customer looks at your technology and, they, and you're trying to convince, a lot of them try to convince themselves and the customer that this technology is what they need. You, that's not how business works, right? You need to go back and say, it doesn't matter how long, I might've spent seven years building this, right? But if it's not solving a problem for somebody, it's not going to make any money. It doesn't matter that I invested seven years. At that point, you need to rethink your business. And a lot of times it's not seven years, it's seven months. But they come to me in, my, in the entrepreneurship program, they put a lot of time in, a lot of sweat equity, even their own money, and they don't want to admit it's not working. Like, mm-hmm. so I have to get them to wake up. Like I have to, and I, sometimes just me telling them won't get them to realize it. 
I have to get them to discover it for themselves. So my challenge as one of their mentors uh, is to say, why isn't it working? Have you talked to your customer? What is your customer saying? Mm -hmm. You know, really getting them to engage deeply uh, with whomever they think they're serving and find out if they're actually doing that and then get them to discover for themselves yeah, there's a real disconnect here. Like we have this amazing technology in search of a solution. We never, you know, it's not going to work. We're going to have to either retool this based on the customer's needs, or if it, we can't, we're just going to have to abandon it. Like no matter how much we, time we put into it, we had started in the, with the wrong thing. So a lot of the best businesses are not built by people who build the, you know, it's not the technology that makes the business. It's the people who figure out how to use that technology to solve problems. And those are what we, that's the difference between innovators and inventors. Like a lot of our entrepreneurs are great inventors, but they're not really great innovators, which means I'm going to take technology, whether I made it myself or somebody else made it, or it's open source, whatever it is. And then I'm going to figure out how to meet those customer needs. That is one thing. Yeah, I, I just um, I, I see that in terms of a lot of the the great innovators of our time. Uh, you know, who actually provided solutions as opposed to the tech, right? And you can yeah. see, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at the like, early iPhone, there were, you know. That's exactly what I was thinking of. Like it's it's all, you know, it's all, the tech was all out there, right? Even, mm -hmm. you know, even the interface in a crude form was the Palm Pilot. Like, the, mm -hmm. you know, Steve Jobs just brought it right. together and made it so that the consumer would fall in love with it. You mm -hmm. know, so easy that, you know, he understood that simplicity was everything, right? You just had to make a product that people, you know, that delighted people. And, and, but all those pieces were already there. All that technology was already there. He didn't, you know, invent any of that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Well, let me ask a little bit about your book. Uh, it's called Surviving a Startup, Practical Strategies for Starting a Business, Overcoming Obstacles and Coming Out on Top. And, you know, you, you, you talk about a little bit uh, how tough it can be when the battle turns against the entrepreneur. And I'm wondering what you mean by that. Uh, and, and what's your advice? You know, as maybe the, the entrepreneur feels like it's against them. Yes. So this is really important. Um, when you are doing a startup, things aren't going to go right, like mm -hmm. invariably. And a lot of times, a lot of us, you know, we're used to having control um, especially, you know, for super nerdy, like, you know, mm. we're a coder, like when you're doing code, you have control, like it, the parameters are limited. Like you can fit, you know, if there's a bug and you work hard enough, you will figure out that bug. If, you know, there, there are only so many things that can go wrong. You have all the tools. They're all in your control to do in a company. It's not the same way. Like mm -hmm. literally things are coming out of left field that you never anticipated. Markets are changing. Like I had a company, we were on top of the world. We were doing like incredibly well. Like we had all these big customers, literally the bottom dropped out of the market. Like the, 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 the customers just decide, you know, and the whole um, economic situation changed. It was the dot-com bubble. Right. Right. That's a great so example. It's a great example. And this isn't in your control, right? This mm -hmm. is like you, you, what you have to do is you have to step back and say, okay, things are going to be, you know, if I'm an entrepreneur, mm -hmm. it's not like certain jobs. It, it means things are invariably going to be out of your control. There are going to be employees who are doing things that you don't want them to do. There are going to be problems with the company. There are going to be problems with customers that cross, crop up. All, you know, endless, <laughs> it's an endless thing of things out of your control. And what you have to do is you have to be able to, control yourself because that's the only thing you can control. Yeah. You can't control all these other variables, mm -hmm. but you can control 
how you react to them. So instead of getting upset, instead of shouting at people, instead of beating yourself up, instead mm -hmm. of stressing yourself out, which a lot of us do, you could say, I don't have to do any of those. Like just because this, you know, just because our biggest customer walked away from us and joined our competitor, I don't have to freak out about that. Like, I don't have to go and blame, you know, try to find somebody to blame for that. I don't, you know, I don't have to think that our business is, the world is caving in because of that. What I need to do is actually figure out why they left and make sure that it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And we can learn they left for a reason. Like there was a reason they left. We need to figure that out. And I need to get my team on board, everybody on board to do that. Excellent. And is that in your book? It explains a little bit about that. Yeah. So I go into leadership a lot in mm -hmm. my book. I go into every aspect, fundraising. Right. I, you know, and, and I even go into why you shouldn't be an entrepreneur and who shouldn't be and who should be. But literally uh, the book is jam packed. It's not like one of these one idea books. It's mm -hmm. like a, it's everything I've learned over decades of doing it myself and working with other people. Yeah, I know. I've seen the, uh, I've seen the content. It's definitely rich and, and covers a lot of bases. And uh, it sounds like it's great. I mean, you don't necessarily have to go the cover to cover. You can go to the area that you're dealing with right now as your issue. Yeah. Um, yeah break great it down resource. Each, you know, everything yeah. from like guerrilla marketing mm -hmm. to, you know, mm -hmm. customer relations, every little yeah. aspect. Yeah. Well, I want to ask you just sort of in sort of in general here, what is it that tech founders, especially technical folks, you've talked a little bit about the nerds and all that, um, what should they have sort of on their radar to know when they need to get help? I mean, maybe join in a founder space or get a mentor or reach out to get others rather than thinking they can do it on their own. The first thing I would tell them is everybody needs help. Oh, everybody. great. Like, yeah. So you don't even need to know when you need help you need help. <laughs> and, and I'm not saying join a startup accelerator. There's all mm -hmm. different types of help you need, but you, you know, you, you are not perfect. You've got to admit that. And nobody is. And you, if you're, there's things you don't know, like, you know, some people think they know everything in the world. It's never true. There's always things you do. And there's always people who are better at things than you're better at. So the first thing you need to do is humble yourself and say, yeah how can I bring on people that are so much better than me in all these areas? Because that's mm -hmm. how I'm going to build a great business. You know, you never build a great, a, a billion dollar business with one person. Like no matter how brilliant that person is, it never happens. It just, mm -hmm. It's impossible. So your number one job, like is to actually go into the world and, and be bringing, feed the beast, I call it, be bringing resources mm -hmm. in so that your company can grow bigger and bigger and more ferocious, you know, as a competitor out there in the marketplace. The first, the, the core thing, uh, the core nutrient your company devours is talent. Like you need to get talent out there. Like if there's one thing you do and, and you could forget everything else is just bringing the best people possible. Like Google knew this, like they, that was their whole yeah. mission. Like mm -hmm. uh, they were just like, we're going to get the smartest people ever. And they're going to tell us what to do. <laughs> and look at Google. They, you know, spun off all these different businesses by doing that. Really great businesses do that. Um, but you're talking about advice. Like for yourself too, mm -hmm. um, have advisors, literally um, have a board of advisors for your company. If you're the type of person who likes life coaches and things like that or mentors, you can get those. But you really need people who see the world from a different perspective because all of us are have blinders on. We all have bias. We're all locked into a certain way of thinking, yet we can't see that. Like no matter, and it doesn't matter how brilliant mm -hmm. you are. 
Like you've met brilliant people. I mean, all of us have met brilliant people in the past where they're super brilliant and then they have blind spots. Yeah. But they don't even know they have blind spots because mm-hmm. none of us know or wouldn't, it wouldn't be a blind spot. Like, <laughs> right. We would, know it and we, would, <laughs> we would have figured out. But, but by nature, by its very nature, we can't see it. Uh-huh. Uh, that is that is how people are programmed. Like if you look at us like machines, you know, we aren't, you know, in, we don't have infinite capacity and infinite knowledge. We're always limited in what we know, yet we have to make decisions. So we act like we know for sure, but we never know for sure. But one way you can make better decisions is by being open, questioning those decisions, getting those people around you, whether they're your employees, whether they're a board of advisors, a board of directors, a, a coach, going to them and saying, honestly, what do you think about making this mm-hmm. decision? And listening, like with an open mind, you may actually know what you want to do, but they may have information, insight, or experience in their past that actually can inform you. So you make an actually better decision. You actually change what you're doing in a better way. And so I call it learning, right? If you are mm-hmm. always, if you make learning your number one priority, learning about yourself, who you are, learning about the world, learning about what your customers want, learning about your employees and what they need, you know, and getting advisors to actually be a tool for you, a conduit for learning more about your company because they are objective. They are outside your company and can look in without the passions, emotions, investment. Like you've made emotional investment in building these products and, and having a certain point of view, you've defended ideas, you know, that you become attached to. They can look and they can actually see things you can't because they are detached from that. It's mm-hmm. really, really valuable. Excellent. Yeah, you have a great way of saying it that you can make a decision, but if you listen to others, you can make a better decision. So uh, yeah, very, very nicely put. Um, well, let's let's just wrap up here and hear just a little bit about what you do at Founder Space and how people can get in touch with you. Oh, so Founder Space has a ton of resources. So mm-hmm. for anybody out there who's wants to be an entrepreneur or just wants to learn, like learn more, improve mm-hmm. themselves. We have tons of videos. We have a free, some free, like I'll give you a free video for your listeners. Um, it's not on the main website, but if you want to know the 10 commandments of raising venture capital, just go to founderspace.com slash T-E-N, 10. You can get there. Um, also, there, there's just a lot of publicly available information. We have podcasts and everything else for entrepreneurs. And I love teaching. I love engaging with entrepreneurs. So if you have ideas, if you have business plans, you could submit it to us. We're always partnering with different people in different ways. We love to engage. And you're expanding all over the place too, right? We are. So yeah. we, are, we are in 22 countries now, different mm-hmm. partners in different yeah. countries. Yeah. Um, we have our own incubators in some countries. We work mm-hmm. with partner incubators in other countries. And so I'm always traveling around the world and I'm always open to opportunities. That's why I love what I do because mm-hmm. I get to meet amazing people, like super smart people and actually learn from them. And these entrepreneurs, these scientists, people all around the world. And I love also connecting people. So, you know, the, the right people together, you can create magic. Excellent. So founderspace.com and you can do the slash 10 and get your 10 commandments there for free special for listening to the podcast. Well, thank you, Steve, for being a guest. It's been a pleasure talking to you. It's been wonderful being here. Thank you for having me. Thanks. And thanks to our listeners and viewers. Uh, Don't forget to subscribe, rate and review, and we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. 
For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.